Man, I love that song. Oh. Don't you love that song? I love that song, but I'm just pumped, man. I'm just pumped. This is the best time of the year for me. Yeah. Because this, March Madness is right around the corner. It, 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 I don't even know if it's around the corner. It's like right there on the corner. This is a steam room, everybody. Yes. Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson. So I'm looking across spacious Studio V and... Spacious? Yeah, it's not a... It's not a there's not a whole lot to take in <laughs> as I gaze across. Okay, so you're wearing this this Auburn... Pat Sullivan jersey. Pat Sullivan, obviously, the great... Pat, Pat Sullivan. Sullivan. What's up with the Auburn across the top? You're missing a B and a U. I've it's watched it too many a, times. It's Arn. I've watched it too Arn. many times. I wear this to, when the weather's nice, I wear this to Auburn football game. Oh, I thought there was, I thought maybe there was a reason for it. Now it's just, no, it's just, uh, it's just that you need a new jersey. I mean, come hey, Jacob, on, man, when Jacob, the letters start falling off of your. But that's how long I've had this jersey. I started yeah. wearing it uh, a, w- a while back to celebrate Pat Sullivan. Yeah. Jacob, give me another jersey, man. Jacob's my handler at Auburn. Your handler? He handles What does a handler at Auburn do? Uh, he makes sure I got tickets uh-huh. uh, to football and basketball games. Right. Uh, he picks me up in the golf cart when we go to football games. Uh, he just takes care of me if I need anything. Jacob. Where to go, Jacob? Yeah, I love me some Jacob. He does like a really Chuckster good job. Chuckster at New Jersey that has all the letters of Auburn. Hey, people at Auburn know what it means. It's just not a great look. You know, it's time, you, it's time for spring football, too. Aren't you ready for spring it? Spring football? Oh, yeah. does nothing for me. You can't, you can't just show up in the summer. No, but yeah, but I, I'm just, I'm not invested in spring football. It always, it, it always amuses me when like a gazillion people show up to watch the spring Those game. Those people are idiots. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't set up here. I, I like the fact that you start building your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. Because when practice starts again, you're going to have like a month to go. Yeah. But you get your practice stuff. Like do it. It's like basketball during the summer. When you get your guys together and y'all just playing, that's just, you building team camaraderie. Yeah, but see, I can't be bothered with spring football when we're about to do March Madness. Oh, no. I, I just, Come on. I just wore this. Number one, I just, I'm wearing my Auburn stuff proud. Because uh, right, you know, know we we are going to be one of the favorites. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Clark Kellogg, by the oh, way, yeah. our CBS colleague, uh, as we uh, make our way to New York next week. Yes, uh, and uh, that'll be coming up in just a bit here on uh, on the Steam Room. It, you know what? It's going to be nice to get back to New York. Yeah, I mean, because last year we did the show from here in Atlanta. The year before, there was no tournament. There was no tournament, but yeah. but th- those two weeks in New York is pretty exciting. Yeah, I will good. admit that. What you got on tap for first of all? Well, I want to give the best to Brittany Griner. I know she's detained uh, in Russia. This is a very complicated and worrisome situation. I mean, with Putin over here and bless the people of Ukraine, amazing people fighting back. But, man, Putin does what he wants to, and it's really unfortunate. But to have that young lady, and she plays for the Phoenix Mercury, and uh, – I'm just wishing her nothing but the best. Man, when you break laws in foreign countries, you're at the mercy of, I mean, you, uh, you're at the mercy of their, their system. Makes you realize how lucky we are to be in the United States. I tell people, we ain't perfect here. We ain't even close to perfect, but I've been around the world. Ain't nothing like this place. Nothing. So I want to wish uh, Brittany the, the best. My second thing is, I'm not sure how to feel about this Kevin Ridley thing, Ernie. About uh, the suspen- one-year suspension for gambling on the NFL. Now, they've got to show me. Now, this is what— Is Ke- the rule not clear, Chuck, that you can't, you can't gamble on the NFL? I think our whole society has changed on gambling. But is there— I, Okay. I, I understand. I understand. But I'm saying, though, I hope nothing comes out— he said he bet $1,500. Right. And that he doesn't have a gambling problem. I, I don't even care about him him gambling like to gamble, but it could only be the 1500 It better just be that. But he's going to lose $11 million for betting $1,500, he says. That's not fair to me. And the reason I said it is I do commercials. Men can't do commercials. Gambling is an integral part. And it used to be with uh, casinos and bookies and things like that. But now with all these apps that we represent, we represent, 
I think that, that the goalposts have moved. So, like I say, I don't, I'm not here to defend or to, to condemn anybody. But if he said he bet 1500 and they should have the proof, but he said he bet in the app. He said he bet in the app, so they should have all the, all the numbers there. But I'm really having a problem with him betting $1,500 and losing $11 million. I just don't think that's fair. It has, I mean, the landscape has changed, obviously. Um, look, once upon a time, pro sports, Heisman, Gambling. Mm-hmm. It was like, keep that at arm's length. No, you know, you don't even want to be associated with it. Hey, and on TV, don't even give the line. You know, and that, now, that, and now all, of, all of that, that ship sailed, has sailed. But at the same time, while that rule is in effect, and I heard somebody talking about it the other day on, on a sports talk show, and they're saying, look, it's posted everywhere. It's posted everywhere in these NFL locker rooms and training sites. No gambling, can't gamble. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no excuse for yeah. just saying it's obvious and yeah. it is, is in plain view. Um, uh, my question but, is, but do, do the finish, do, do, do the punishment fit the crime? Well, look, probably not. That's but, my only question. But also, when you start gambling, and you and and there's the the suggestion maybe you have inside information. Like okay, I knew this guy wasn't going to play, or I know this guy is yeah, going to play. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, then that's a different thing. That's an issue. And so, yeah, we'll we'll see how this we'll see how that plays out. But I'm yeah coming down on a guy and suspending him for a year for gambling when gambling is uh, becoming in part the lifeblood of I've had of people, sports. It's 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 a little curious. I've had an NBA owner, and I'm not going to snitch on him, tell me in three to five years, the money that TNT and ESPN pay these guys is going to be chump change. This is the NBA owner, St. Charles. We're going to be able to bet in a seat who's going to score the next basket, mm-hmm. who's going to make the next free throw, where the guy going to make two free throws. He says in the next three to five years, People are going to be able to do all that just sit in their seat, which is crazy to even think about. You kind of like that idea, though, don't you? Well, I'm pretty sure if I got my computer, if I got my phone and Shaq's at the free throw line, <laughs> I'm going, he's going to miss both of them. <laughs> I like that perspective. I, I, I like my chances if he's at the free throw line. Uh, anything else on that, yeah, legal, gonna, that uh, legal sheet over there that I'm you gonna, got? I'm going to finish up with, with something good. I got to see my favorite band Friday night. Oh, the Eagles! The Eagles, man! The guys put on a show with the with the they had the little what's something? Oh, the symphony. The symphony with them, uh, man. Don Henley's voice sounded great. Uh, he's got one of those voices, man. But he did some solo stuff. I mean, obviously. But Vince Gill was great. Timothy was great, and Joe was great. And obviously, Don Henley. Oh, see, that's how you can tell when you're tight with the band. When you're referring to everybody by first name, so instead of saying Timothy B. Schmidt yeah. or saying Joe Walsh, it's like Tim and Joe. Yeah. The only thing we're missing, my boy Deacon. Deacon. Deacon, Deacon wasn't Fry. There. Yeah, Deacon Fry. He's sitting out this leg of the tour. The uh, late Glenn Fry's son, son who yeah. was when I saw him right before the pandemic, he was singing it with the group. So, shout out to the guys who put on a great show. All the guys had a really, really cool time. Uh, so thank those guys for putting on a great show. Uh, and not, just on a side note, while you were seeing the Eagles last weekend, Uh-oh. I went down to Miami with the lovely Cheryl Ann and took in Shaq's 50th birthday party down yeah. there in Miami. It was, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate the invite. Glad that we were able to make the trip and wishing the big fella a happy, yeah, happy. 50th. Uh, and that was a fun, Did that they was play a, me singing it was a fun him? time. Uh, I don't think that that was. On Did they do that with me and no, Adele? no, 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 no. That thankfully, no, that was that was not part of it. Okay. Prime one twelve. 
down there in South Beach. Is my boy, does uh, the guy Miles still on that place? Miles is still there. Miles is great. What an engaging, nice man. That's a great restaurant. And he's got a great spot there. Yeah, that's that's, that's a legendary spot. Whenever you went to Miami, you want to go to Prime 112. Yeah, so Cheryl Ann and I had a wonderful time down there. Good to be back here, getting ready for for March Madness. Uh, Oh, you know what I forgot to talk about? How can we do the podcast on a Thursday before Ben Simmons returns to Philadelphia tonight, which the only thing better than us having this game, if it's Ben Simmons was playing. Oh, could you imagine? Oh, my goodness. It's still, I still think they expected it. So a couple of my friends in Philadelphia said James Harden first game in Philly was the third most watched game ever. This game tonight, I know it's gonna be. It's gonna be. Um, look, you know Philly fans better than anybody. I just hope nothing bad happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, anything, no, 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 anything, saying, anything over the top. I want them to boo if they want to, cheer if they want to. There's always gonna be three or five knuckleheads. I know most of the fans just gonna boo and scream loud. I'm just hoping that three to five knuckleheads don't do anything stupid. Will we see anything? What kind of interaction will we see between? Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. There might be pregame handshake, little pregame dap. Maybe. Would no. you? If I didn't like guys, I wouldn't do that. that but no. Ask me the other question on the other side of that. What? Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Well, I mean, and if Ben were playing. No. If he not playing or not playing, ask me the question. Will there be any interaction between? Hell no! I don't think so. Hell either. no! I wouldn't even ask that question. <laughs> no, 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 if I, they didn't speak going out the door, I know. it's said, not like there's going to uh, no, be a hug. No, and, and he's in and Ben's in street clothes yeah. and Joel's ready. No, no. If they walk by each other in the hall, it's going to be a hell no. There's going to be, you know, there's a lot of I don't want to call it pressure, but there there's a lot of responsibility on the on the shoulders of our production crew up oh, there yeah. because they're going to have to be. On their toes. On top of every potential yeah. interaction. To oh, say, yeah. Oh, hey, Joel just looked over to the bench and gave Ben one of these. Yeah, okay. Over oh, Diddy. Yeah. You know that stuff's going to be happening. I There's going to be all these narratives going yeah. on. Listen, hey, I'm going to give you one narrative. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid ain't going to make eye They might make eye contact, but they won't be good eye contact. And it'll just it'll be accidental. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I can't wait, man. I'm pumped. Uh, you know, in, but we're in the doldrums of the NBA season, too. To get this game... Oh, it's going to be spicy. It's, oh, it's got spicy. You like your stuff spicy? I like it spicy. This okay. got extra spicy on it. <laughs> we'll be back. Back here on the steam room. Oh, yeah. Where Chuckster, for those who may not know, who may not be loyal steamers, yes. who may be listening... What is the first rule of the steam room for our guests? Uh, keep your towel on. Exactly. Keep your towel on. And that's what we say to Clark Kellogg, who's our colleague on March Madness, coming up on CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV once again. And we'll be up in New York, and we'll be hanging out with Clark. And I just want to say this one thing. And I can't wait. Nobody can screw up March Madness. It's, 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 <laughs> the, it's the coolest thing. I'm not just saying it because we do it. I look forward to this every year. I know. It's it's tremendous. Yeah. And so let's bring Clark Kellogg into the conversation. Clark, it's great to see you. And look, we have these seminars, and we've had them every year. Sometimes they're virtual. Sometimes we were up there in New York, and everybody could see each other in person. But everybody was always taken by hearing Clark Kellogg just speak about March Madness and its importance, uh, not only on the sports landscape, but just in the lives of young players and in coaches and Clark, this is that time of year, man. So the floor is yours. Tell me, tell me what the March Madness does to to stir your soul. Man, I tell you, it's um, it's a powerful galvanizing force for all of us that enjoy life because it is life giving, Ernie. We've been in around and in the game of basketball for a long time in our different roles, but what March Madness is. It's a gathering time for families, for friends, for alums, obviously the players and coaches and officials that are part of the game, the bands, the parties. But it's a galvanizing force to bring people together around something that's exciting, 
that's good, that's unpredictable, and that always delivers. And the elements of that are the competition, the one-and-done nature of surviving and advancing, or the heartbreak of losing, the buzzer beaters that are part of it. We've already seen a couple in the conference championship tournaments. It just touches your heart in a way that very few things do. And I've always said this, sports and music are perhaps the most unifying, neutral things in the world. People can come together regardless of ideology, faith differences, background differences, racial differences, cultural differences. Sports and music have a way of cutting through all of the minutiae and focusing on our common humanity. And in March Madness, you get every good element of what it means to be human. And that, to me, is what makes it so, so special. And there, folks, is why you see every year, just hearing Clark talk about it, is is just so highly anticipated. And you always deliver, too, big fella. That's awesome. We appreciate you. Thank you, EJ. But, Ernie, Clark is correct. I know. Like, no, I'm just saying, like, even when I was in the NBA, I could not wait to watch March Madness. People were like, what you do today? I watched March Madness. And then it, <laughs> then I realized it sucked back then because you only got the games they wanted you to get. Right. I think one of the one of the great things that ever happened in sports was this partnership with our network yeah. and CBS. So people can watch the teams they want to see. Like, you yeah. get to watch your college. And to me, that is the most special time of the year. Like, when your college is making a run, it's nothing like it. I mean, a couple years ago, listen, I love Auburn. And now this year is different because we're going to be a high seed. But the year we made it to the Final Four was one of the greatest things ever happened to me in my life sports-wise because I never thought in my wildest dream. Because when I looked at the bracket, I was like, ooh, North Carolina, <laughs> Kentucky, mm-hmm. and Kansas. We played the yeah. three, three winningest school in NCAA. And I remember Bryce Brown came on the show. He says, yeah, Mr. Barkley, you picked us to get to the Elite Eight. I said, Bryce. I, did, I, I can't get I can't get on here and be a homer. I saw Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky on y'all road to get to the Final Four. And somewhere along that way, something's got to something's, something's got to give. And they, and they got there, yeah. and, it, and it's incredible. But for me, I always think about this: for ninety nine point nine percent of these kids, this is gonna be the last time they play basketball. This is gonna be the last time they ever play basketball. You played as a little kid. You played in high school. You went to almost the highest level in the world because college is right behind the NBA. But for 99.9% of these kids, unless they play in a Turk league or some like Rucker league, this is going to be the culmination of their life. That's what makes this thing so crazy and special. Agreed. It is that, uh, it is certainly that element, Clark. And when you, I know it's early. I mean, we're, we're speaking on, Thursday of championship week, and so a lot can happen between now and, and selection Sunday. I, yeah, we're going to... No, I got a bone to pick with somebody. With who? With with Clark? Clark. Clark. Okay. You know Joe Lenardi? I do. He and I did the mock selection exercise at the NCAA. We were partners. We we The two of us were one committee member when we did that several years ago. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just saw him in Chicago about three weeks ago for the Loyola Project premiere. So, yeah, I know Joe. Well, you tell Joe Lenardi, Charles Barkley, Charles Wade Barkley is looking for him. Because let me tell you something. He does a fantastic job, Clark. A fantastic job. But my question is, he's had Auburn on the number one line all year. Okay. Then we win the SEC tournament last week. Not the tournament, the regular season title. The regular season championship. Uh Uh-huh. And now he's got us on the two line. Can you please... Behind who? I I, I forget. uh, I think it's Arizona, Gonzaga, Kansas. And Baylor? And I can't remember the other team right now. Probably Baylor. But how do we go from being one all year and winning the the SEC regular season title and then he moves us to two? You got the wrong guy to ask that question. I am not a bracketologist. You need to talk, take that up with Joe DeLinardi directly, or you can call Jerry Palm or Seth Davis because those are our CBS bracketologists. Would you have Auburn on a one line? 
I want currently, yeah, I was just looking at it, Ernie. As a matter of fact, in my book here, I had Gonzaga, Zona, Baylor, and Auburn with Kentucky and Kansas, and maybe an outside chance of some craziness happened that Wisconsin might warrant consideration on the one line. But right now, I would have the Zags, Zona, Baylor, and Auburn probably in that order as we sit here today. And then it could move a little bit with those four teams based on what happens in the conference tournaments. And if, in fact, Kentucky were to beat Auburn in the conference championship SEC, would that be enough to move that around? But right now, I've got Auburn on the one line just in my casual way of trying to put it together as we get ready for all of our shows on Saturday and Sunday. I've been doing a bunch of radio shows getting ready for Mars Madness. And I said this, there's some really good teams, but there's no great teams. When I look at these, I say, man, there's about seven or eight to ten really good teams, but there's not one team like the Anthony Davis Kentucky team. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the only team. Remember when I gave y'all the feel? <laughs> I gave y'all the feel that one year. They're like, oh, no, no. I said, the only people can beat this team called Raptors, Cavaliers. <laughs> I said, but, I, but, I, but I, even Auburn, we going to have to play well to get to the Final Four. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Chuck. Last year, we pretty much had two teams that separated themselves all season long. Anybody you talk to, anybody you would watch, it was Gonzaga and Baylor. Those were the two teams that clearly had created a gap. There were a handful of others that, with the right break, maybe, but everybody saw the difference between Baylor and Gonzaga in last year's field. This year, we don't have that. Gonzaga, Auburn, Baylor, Zona, Kansas, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Duke, and other teams could possibly crash New Orleans that are outside of teams that are going to be seeded 1 through 16. Teams like Iowa, Arkansas, Seton Hall, UConn. Memphis, if they get in the field, is a scary team. As volatile as they've been, throwing the ball to everybody but themselves in most games, all kind of dysfunction early on. But now they've started to squeeze the orange better. They've got tremendous talent and chemistry. They've got depth and athleticism, and they are terribly disruptive defensively. So you're right. We've got 15 to 20 teams, really, that I think legitimately could get to New Orleans. And we know if you get there, then anything can happen. You know, I've got a bone to pick, too. And this is not a bone to pick with, with, with Clark. This is, okay, look, you're Bellarmine. Mm. And you are transitioning. You're in this transition yeah. phase to Division yeah. One. And so Jacksonville is going, correct? Jacksonville State. Jacksonville, is Jacksonville State. Who lost to Jacksonville yeah. in the conference tournament. Bellarmine beat Jacksonville in the conference final, okay, in the tournament. Yeah. But because Bellarmine is in transition, yes. they can't go to the tournament. But the team they beat, uh, again, Jacksonville, yeah. had lost or had beaten Jacksonville State and Jacksonville State's the team that goes. That's correct. Because they won the regular season. Right. Okay, why is there that rule? And if that is in place, why is Bellarmine even in the tournament, in the conference tournament to begin with, when you can win it, you can yeah. cut down the nets and say, well, that's it. Great question. I just I just don't get it. No, I understand. And you make valid, valid points. I think in the case of a team transitioning and not being eligible to, to win the automatic bid on the court, then perhaps they shouldn't be allowed to play in the tournament. That's what I'm saying. That would probably be that yeah. would be one of the answers. But I do think if you've allowed those teams to play, even if they're not eligible and they happen to win and your team that won the regular season with a longer body of work, I think they warrant and deserve what they get in that regard, as long as the conference has decided upon that. We can argue back and forth. But the body of work of winning a regular season conference championship trumps a three-day run in a conference tournament, in my mind. What I don't get, maybe maybe I just need to be enlightened as to this transition process and why that yeah, matters in terms of, uh, you know, you're, you're transitioning to D1. So, okay, so so what does that mean? And so why should that, why should that? It shouldn't matter. Make you ineligible for the for the big dance. Yeah, it shouldn't matter. But I think I th- I think the way you look at it, maybe, and this is an analogy that just came to my head. If you are serving on a board and they compensate you with stock options, there's a certain time period before you can exercise those options. So again, I don't understand why that's the case. 
in terms of transitioning from Division Two to Division One, but there may be some elements of that at play in terms of you've got to be so long into being a Division One team or go through certain processes to get to be a, a, a fully vested Division One member. And I think it's something similar to that. I'm not privy to yeah. the ins and outs of it, Ernie, but I'm just trying to think in terms of why it even exists the way it does. You know, I got three players here. That's just my personal okay. opinion. I think these three guys, they can say, guys, get on my back, and we're going to win the national championship. Now, this is not a homer pick. This is just a fact, because I got to see the kid yeah. play probably 10 times. Jabari Smith. Big time. Jaden Ivey. Difference maker. Agreed. Nobody quite like him in the backcourt in college. And uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. Paolo Banchero. Paolo Bancaro. Bancaro. Yeah, Paolo Bancaro. Those three guys, they could dominate every single game and will their team to the national championship. I mean, there's a bunch of good players, obviously, but watching those three guys play, I'm like, yeah, they could they could do a Danny Manning, yeah, uh, a, a Kemba Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They could have a run like that where they're like, boys, get on my back. Those three players. A Glenn could, Rice. Way back in the day, Glenn Rice went crazy. Yes, yes, yes. No, I agree with you. I mean, those guys are, oh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Those guys are all unique, extremely gifted, and capable of being a difference maker and carrying their teams through bumpy water if that happens. No doubt about it. I love all three of those guys. But we know part of the secret sauce of the tournament is the unpredictability of it and that the best team or the best player doesn't always rise up in advance. I want to get your take on a guy that uh, at Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren, okay? I mean, you watch this guy play, and number one, physically, you looked like he got to run around in the shower to get wet. Yeah. But he does so many things. I mean, as players, give me your take on him, Charles and Clark, on on what he brings yeah. and, and, what, and what his ceiling is. He is a perfect example. I think he's going to be great. But he's a kid I would love to see him stay in college more than one year. Because as good as he's playing now, he needs to gain 20, 30. Keep going. Yes. But before he, like, he got to get a lot stronger because, listen, I know it's hard to stay in college because he's going to be one, two, or three. But I love watching him play because, man, he got guard skills for a seven-foot guy. But I have to be realistic. If you put him in the NBA right now, they're going to hurt that little kid. Because <laughs> they're going to physically, they're going to be physically imposing their will on him. Like I say, I, I love watching the kid play. He got great skills. But to me, I hope he stays in school at least another year to get physically stronger. But man, Timmy, Timmy, <laughs> Timmy, I call him the baby Kevin McHale. When he gets to, like, <laughs> when he gets in the post, yeah, you you like he puts you in a blender, yeah. I mean, and like, and but I think him playing with Timmy this year and maybe another year of weightlifting and stronger, because what's gonna happen is he's gonna go to a crappy team. He's gonna go and like it won't be good for his development. He's gonna get mentally beat up. He's gonna get physically beat up. I like I say. I'm not telling the kid what to do because I think he's a great kid, looks like from a distance, but I hope he stays in school at least one more year. Well, Ernie, you start you start with the size, man. Anytime you see a guy north of seven feet, when I first saw Ralph, Ralph Sampson, we were in the same high school class, 1979. When I first saw him as I went around and played in some of the All-Star games, I had never seen anything like it. Seven, two, three, put it on the floor, rack to rack, shoot jumpers, hooks. Just hadn't seen it. And this is comparable. In this time period, the 21st century version of a Ralph Sampson kind of guy, that long, that mobile, that skilled. And so it's just a reiteration with a little more added twist of the current time. And it's really unique and phenomenal to see. I agree with Charles. When you step into the NBA, physically and emotionally and mentally, you have to have some level of strength physically and maturity to be able to handle it. And then now I think teams do a much better job in trying to help higher draft picks or all draft picks navigate their road more comfortably and better. There's always pressure if you're a high pick, you're going to have to play 
But teams, I think now overall are doing a little better job of helping guys adjust to the rigors of the NBA. And if he does decide to leave, then he'll land in a place where I think they'll manage what he is and what he needs as best they can as he steps onto the um, courts of the best players in the world. You know, uh, I always worry about people. Because these guys, man, they're 18 years old. And yep. I'm so glad that I wasn't stupid. That Well, first of all, I didn't have the rule. Like, because all your family and friends are like, no, go get that money. But me and Clark know firsthand, man, the NBA is for grown folk. It, it yeah. is for grown folk. And yeah. I don't think, I got so blessed and lucky to go to a really good team with a bunch of good veterans. Doc, Moses, Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones, Clem, Clement Johnson, guys like that. Now, you're going to go to a really bad team. And let me tell you something. I don't care how much money you make, losing sucks. Yeah. And <laughs> when you, our people say, and first of all, they say you play 82 games. When you lose, it's like 182. <laughs> you're like, wait. It's I just experienced a, that. You did? Yeah, tough. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the Pacers early on, man. We were getting our heads beat in, Chuck. And uh, it wears you down. It wears you down. I was 21 when I got drafted. And that season, 82-83, I think I was the second or third youngest guy in the league at 21 after three years of college. Now we've got teenagers walking in there, and it's hard. I agree with you, man, but you made a great point. When you're in a situation where you have good, experienced veterans, that is so critically important to how your career starts. Even though we weren't a good team, Herb Williams was there. Clem Johnson was with the Pacers before y'all got him, my rookie year. So Clement was there. So there were some good, solid veterans that I had around me, too, that helped you at least navigate that road as you're trying to figure out where you fit in the league. But you're right. He's got unbelievable talent, as do some of the other guys you mentioned. And the pros and NBA are in their future. And you just hope they get a good, solid foundation of mentors and veterans and have a chance to really grow in an appropriate manner for them. Everybody's a little different. Well, Clark, the toothpaste is out the tube. Yeah. I'm talking about the NIL. <laughs> Tell me your first impression. Yep. And, like, I've been talking to Auburn for the last month. I said, guys, I have no idea how this thing works. I don't know who gets money. Mm -hmm. We got to make sure we take care of the ladies. So tell me your, how do you, what do you think so far? Well, initially, it's the right move, and it's long, long, long overdue. It's a shame it took legal pressure to move the NCAA in this direction. This should have been proactively done decades ago to stay ahead of, the reality of how the shift was taking place in the amateurism and the business of college sports, particularly basketball and football. Those have become business entities ever since 1984 when we had the landmark case where the um, NCAA no longer is going to manage TV rights for the football programs. So it's the right move. Now you're trying to build the house while you're living in it, basically, because there's no uniform legislation across The states have allowed this to happen. The NCAA has no way to resist it because it's here. As you said, the toothpaste is out. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for growth across all levels. For the student athletes, they get a chance to monetize and capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. You should never be penalized because you earned a scholarship to go to school. That's what was happening before. Because you own scholarship, you couldn't do some of the things that a typical student can do. That's not right. Your gifts and ability and hard work earned you an opportunity to get your education paid through playing the sport. You should still have all of the opportunities and rights to be a student. Sure, it's different. You have certain demands on your time, but there shouldn't be a penalty for you being on scholarship. So now it's a bit of the wild, wild west and chaotic and Crazy, but there's a lot of good stuff happening, and we're just going to have to play it out, Chuck. We're going to have to play it out. A number of institutions are doing a great job policing what kind of deals kids get, educating the kids about how these deals work, which I think is more valuable than the money in many cases. Understanding what business is in this space. Yeah, you've got a brand and an image tied to your ability and to your prowess on the field or court. How do you monetize that? What are good partnerships for you in looking to 
capitalize on your popularity and acumen of sport. That's educational. That's part of what we should be doing in college. So I think it's a great opportunity to educate student athletes, to reshape how you actually deal with scholarship athletes in a positive way. So I love it. It's going to be chaotic. It's like anything. Hey, when cell phones first came out, it was crazy. It's the same. Technology change is always going to be disruptive and uncomfortable initially. We're in the right place. We're on the right field. Now we just figure out how to do it fairly, but also where you empower through education the kids that are going to be able to take advantage of this. That's my um, long-winded opinion on it. Well, first of all, you're one of the smartest people, and I'm not saying it because you're on the podcast. I mean, I value your opinion because I tell people all the time when I say, oh, one of the reasons I like working with Clark, Clark has no hidden agenda. We have too many people on television who have a hidden agenda, but you don't have a hidden agenda. You generally care about the sport. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so my second question is the transfer portal. Yeah, yeah. Again, hey, it's wild and crazy. It's not ideally working out the way you would like it to. There are a couple of things about it. One, I go back to my point. Just because you're on scholarship, you shouldn't be penalized. If you're not a student athlete, you can transfer anytime you want to. Nobody cares. Okay. Now, I understand the competitive balance and how that can be a loophole. So I understand there should be some boundaries and stipulations and mediations that are a little different in the world of um, athletics. But ultimately, the principle is you should have the freedom to move for whatever reason you might have closer to family. The school you went to is not the fit you thought it was. It's too big. The city's too small. The coach left. Playing time, my role. Those are reasons legitimate for you to leave and seek better ground and better fit elsewhere. Now, the other part of it is many times in this day and age, kids are leaving, in my opinion, for the instant gratification and the wrong reasons. And that to me, but we can't control that. You can't legislate individual free will and choice. You can't create enough rules to cover every eventuality. You can't. It's impossible. You can't legislate morality. You can't legislate people having the heart to do what's just and right and fair. You can put boundaries in place to encourage it, but you can't legislate it away. So the transfer portal has exploded. It's a reality. It's not going away. Coaches have to deal with it and adjust to it. And those who do will continue to find success. And most our understanding, this is part of it. There's some elements of it where you're tampering with a kid, but again, we're human. We're not perfect, any of us. And there's where there's loopholes, some folks are going to look to find them. But I think the freedom of movement is fine. I don't like the numbers, and I don't like some of the reasons that kids give up and think the grass is going to be greener somewhere else and not fight through. So that's my take. But it's actually a positive situation from the standpoint of empowerment of the student-athlete. Oh, that's a great answer. And I and to piggyback on that, and, and you touched on it right there at the end, was the reason for leaving. And I think and I think sometimes we're seeing more and more of just a, uh, you know, where's the resolve? Where's the, where's the inner strength to say, yeah, I didn't play much this year, but I'm going to improve and there's going to be no yes. way he can't play me next yeah. year. Yes. Instead, it's, he benched me. He yelled at me. I'm out of here. I'll go somewhere else. And I think that's, I think that's the problem. I think that's part of the reason that the portal is so jam packed is that all these guys no are like, doubt. if I just leave, I'll, it'll be better someplace else. And it isn't always. Yeah. That's a great, great point. It speaks to our lack in general of resilience, particularly in our young people. We're not developing in them the attribute and skill of resilience. And that's something we all have to take some ownership in as parents, as coaches, as role models, that there's an element of resilience that you need for life. And sports can sometimes teach you that if you'll embrace it and stay the course. But if you run anytime there's a headwind because you think it's going to be better over there or somebody's not going to be as hard on you over here, then you're not doing yourself any type of favor in terms of your personal development and growth for life, not for the sport. That's short term, no matter how good you are. The sport is short term. It's coming to an end, no matter how good you are and how long you play. But life, hopefully, is going on decades beyond 
whatever your greatest memory is in whatever game you play. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that, as Chuck pointed out, ninety for ninety nine percent of these guys, it's going to be you take that jersey off for the last time after that last game, and that's all you're going to play. Then you're out in the business world, and in the business world, there is there's not exactly the transfer portal where you have a you know, have a, a tough seven or eight months at work and say, I'm going in the portal. Somebody else will pick me up. Wow. No, th- it's not always out there. Sometimes you got to fight through that stuff, you know? And, That's and, right. and so, uh, hey, a couple more things. So you said 15, 20 teams could go to New Orleans. Yeah. Give me a handful of teams that folks out there who are going to be filling out brackets are going to say, oh, really? I had no idea Murray State might be able to do this. So give me a few other names. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying these teams could get to New Orleans, but I can say I feel confident they could actually upset a bracket or win a game or two. Murray State clearly is not your typical mid-major team. They've got size. They've got dynamic guards. So they're in that category. Chattanooga is another team that is not your typical mid-major team. They've got a seven-footer in Silvo DeSosa who played at Kansas, a transfer, and he's a presence at both ends inside. And they've also got dynamic guards. Malachi Smith is terrific. So that's a team, Chattanooga. Whoever comes out of the Mid-American Conference, that could be Toledo, Kent State, Akron, OU, or Buffalo. They're all pretty evenly matched. All of them have the ability. Whoever comes out, it'll only be a one-big situation. But whoever comes out of the match, Keep an eye on that particular team. Colorado State, I don't see them being a top 16 seed. They've gotten tons of love all season, but that's a team that's worked to this point and is ready to win an NCAA tournament game. And David Roddy, uh, Charles Barkley clone, light, thick, strong, athletic, can do everything, is a heck of a player to watch. And then I mentioned Memphis. They'll be a double-digit seed if they're in the tournament, and people are on them. But, again, those are teams in that group. And then one other one that people can do some homework on is North Texas out of Conference USA. I think they're going to have to win their tournament to get there, although their body of work and resume looks good enough to be considered at large. But that's a really sound, solid team that beat Purdue last year in the first round Mm -hmm. of the tournament. Hey, uh, before we go, um, Chuck's about to join our club. You know, he's, he's waiting to, to hear when he's going to be a grandpa. Yeah. Uh, you got any, you got any grandpa advice for, uh, for the Chuckster? I would just say a few words. Ready yourself for indescribable joy. Uh-huh. Mm. That's it. That's it. That's all, that's all you need to say. Because it is, man. And it's going to happen here, Chuckster. It's going to happen soon for Charles you, Charles Barkley, day five, baby watch. <laughs> <laughs> Day five, Clark, baby watch. <laughs> Clark, we'll see you up there in New York next week, man. That's a good watch to be part of. Yeah, looking forward to it, guys. Can't wait to hang out for a few weeks with I you. I can't wait, man. I, nothing can mess up Mars Madness. I, I look forward to it, my brother. Be safe. Yeah, you too. You know, it's so cool that I was just interviewed for the Dick Vitale documentary. For Dick, just number one, I'm glad to see Dick is cancer-free. He's just a wonderful person, just a wonderful ambassador for the game of college basketball. But I said the same thing about Clark Kellogg. The joy, excitement in his voice, getting ready for March Madness, is contagious. He loves college basketball. Yes. Man, if you enjoy your job, man, that's, that's like the cool, like, like you always say, you got to get to get job. job. Yeah. I get to do this. And I, I'm reminded of that every time, you know, those first couple of days of the tournament. Oh, the first two days are brutal. Yeah, I mean. That's like a job. It's Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's all day. But when you think about it, if your boss said your job here on Thursday and Friday is to sit and watch every game of the NCAA tournament, you'd sign up for that. Yeah, you would. <laughs> and we signed but, up for it, too, and it's awesome. But normally, man. if you sit and watch basketball all day, you get to go get some refreshments. Well, there are refreshments in the hallway at CBS. Yeah, that's Maybe stuff, not that's exactly stuff the that's stuff refreshments dead. you're looking for. I, you're exactly right. <laughs> you're exactly right. Can't wait for it next week. Yes, it's uh, oh my, it's such wait. a wonderful time. I, I spent, you know what's really cool? Watching the, the tournament games now. Oh, your championship yeah. week? Yes. No doubt. I mean, there's been at least six buzzer beaters this week. And and that's what we're in for. I, I can't wait. For the next month. And the words of Bart Scott, can't wait.
Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Come and join us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel on in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Leave your towel on in the steam room. Y'all try to tell me. Just get a kick out of that. Try to tell me I can't sing. No, that's good. See, that's when you scale it back a little bit, and you're not over the top karaoke. You know, you can actually listen to that. Somebody sent me a video the other day of me singing with Boys to Men. Mm -hmm. Did you actually do that, or was this something that was doctored? No, it wasn't doctored. I sung with them uh, a while back. Uh, This is right before they uh, broke up. No, No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. So, um, shout out, youth basketball coach in Virginia, Vince Ross, loyal steamer. Oh, really? Loyal steamer who is currently having dialysis treatments. Oh, man. Awaiting a kidney transplant. Coach, thank you. Coach, get well, man. Get that kidney, man. We're thinking about you. Yeah, so we send our best to him. Yes. Um, the uh, number for Chuck's answering machine, if, uh, if you're interested, and of course you are, 404 404- Nine eight seven zero three three zero. We've got a handful of phone calls. Actually, we have four phone calls what? on Chuck's answering machine. Not quite a full handful. Okay, but uh, no thumb. <laughs> there's no thumb this week <laughs> on Chuck's answering machine. Here's call number one. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hi, Chuck and Ernie. It's Hunter from Tampa. I am a loyal steamer thanks to my youngest daughter, Lucy, who turned me on to the steam room. She is a University of Georgia graduate and a huge Charles Barkley fan. So you two make a winning combination for her. So my question is for you, Chuck, next month, my oldest daughter is getting married and I have the honor of walking her down the aisle. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for me on uh, how not to completely lose it emotionally walking her down the aisle because I have a feeling that it will be a really special moment and um was hoping you could give me some tips. Thanks, guys. Keep up the steam room. I look forward to every episode. Thanks, well, owner. That was a nice compliment. She said her daughter went to Georgia. It was, it was yes, sir. Um, I, the only time I got emotional was the, the father-daughter dance. I didn't get emotional walking down the aisle as I thought I would be because I was excited for her because it was her special day. But I lost it uh, during the father-daughter dance. But you just got to enjoy it. But that's if the guy's not a loser. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's in case he's not a loser. (laughs) But, you know, that's the next part of her life. Yeah. So... I was excited because she was happy. Now, those kids almost drunk me into an oblivion, uh, as Mike Tyson said, obliv- uh, uh, Bolivian. Uh, <laughs> into Bolivia. Yeah. I had a couple rough nights with those kids. Yeah. Man, well, you're not that young anymore, young no, man. I know, but I'm telling you, Ernie. So I worked on Thursday, flew home on Friday, and then went to the hotel to check on everything. And they were all in the pool, hammered. But like, I got back around ten. I went to the hotel. They had been in the pool for like four hours. They were hammered. It's a bunch of wrinkled, hammered guys. Yes, uh, and girls. And then we had the rehearsal, and they got even worse. And then I go over Saturday morning before the wedding just to make sure everything is perfect because I wanted to be perfect for her. And they're already in the pool. <laughs> they're already in the pool. Oh. But they all live on the East Coast. Yeah. So they came to the West Coast. There was perfect weather back then. Mm. And those kids were feeling it. <laughs> and because the wedding wasn't until 5 o'clock. Was the ceremony in the pool also? It, no, it was right <laughs> by the pool. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a perfect ceremony. So just enjoy the ceremony. It's for your daughter. It's her special day. And you just are going to be happy for her because I was happy for her. When uh, when Maggie got married, a couple of, <laughs> couple of stories on this. And Hunter, I don't know if this is going to help answer your question, but <laughs> there is a movie that makes me cry all the time. Father of the Bride. Oh, Lord. Is that Steve Martin? Yeah. There are a couple of scenes in that movie 
and it's just like it's it's like for me the last scene of uh, it's a one of it's a wonderful life where i always get choked up but there are a couple of scenes in that movie where i get choked up too and i said you know what i'm going to watch that again and i'm going to get over this i'm going to and and, and i <laughs> So I was boo-hooing the night before watching Father of the Bride. But you think that's as, a, you as, had worn out your cry? Yeah, yeah, I was saying, I'll get that out. But so that day when I was walking Maggie, it just it was great. It wasn't I it wasn't like I was about to So you telling this person to watch Father of the Bride the night before the wedding? Yeah, I think it's, well, it's always a good it's always a good uh, film to check out. But I was getting a little emotional as we waited to walk. And then we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know what? This is awesome. I'm, remember, so, remember. I'm so proud of you, Maggie. I'm so happy for you. You're marrying a great guy. And I was fine. So remember when Shaq said his goal, his father told him, I just want you to make C's. <laughs> so you, and y'all let him get away with it on national television. <laughs> so you're telling our podcast people, if you cry the night before, you don't have anything left no, tomorrow? No, no, I'm just saying I thought, I thought at that point that, you know what, if, if I can get over some of the emotion of doing this, then maybe I'll be, a, but I was okay. And, and the dance is uh, another thing that, yeah, that's a little, that's a little emotional too. But, um, no, I think it's exciting because it's a new chapter in your yeah, daughter's I'm, life. Yeah. Uh, but at it's the same time, it's like, man, we had so, so many great years when she was under our roof and that kind of thing. And here's the second part of that story. I wanted to look good. That day, obviously, I'm walking my daughter down the down the aisle. So, I went to the mall, and I went to the Spanx store. And I've I've told, to, I've told Sarah, owner of Spanx, and Jesse, uh, her husband, this story. So I went to the Spanx store at the mall, got a Spanx undershirt because they're tight, and I was. I was looking good because I was looking really trim because this thing is pretty tight. But I'm not sure I can get over this. But that night, man, a man wearing Spanx. But that Spanx T-shirt. Okay, Spanx undershirt. That night, everything's done. Cheryl Ann and I are back at the house. You know, Maggie's married. It took me about 25 minutes to get that undershirt off. <laughs> It was, it was like watching Wild Kingdom, like watching somebody fight a boa constrictor. I'm just, get this oh, that's off. a great story. And so I told them that I said, yeah. "I love your stuff." Had a hell of a time getting it off, but it was. Uh, I looked good for the wedding. Anyway, that's that's a long story. Call number two. So, Ernie, what's happening, fellas? Kelvin calling in from Kenton, North Carolina. Uh, I got a couple of things for you guys. First. Does either of you have webbed toes? A simple yes or no would be fine. Secondly, March Madness beginning. Who were your sleeper teams coming out of the college ranks this season? No webbed toes. No webbed toes here. No, that's an easy answer. That's an easy answer. Yeah. Well, you know, as we talked about with Clark, there's no great team. So I don't think you can say there's a sleeper, uh, first and foremost. You know, Clark talked about Chattanooga, Murray, Murray State. State, Toledo. If they get in, there's to, to, there's to, my yeah. watch for Toledo. My my good buddy Todd Kowalczyk, the head coach there. I hope they get in, man. Yeah. That's a one bid league. Yeah, the MAC. So for me to be honest with you, first of all, I'm pulling for Auburn. Really? Yeah, I'm pulling. For oh, Auburn. I had no idea. Or, or are you pulling pulling for Auburn, uh, as your shirt says? Get on this, Jacob. Um, Iowa, Arkansas, Arkansas. I actually like Arkansas I because Coach Musselman. One of the reasons I love Bruce Pearl, he's a great in-game coach. He makes great adjustments, but Eric Musselman, he does it too. Yep. Because, because I think what guys understand when you've been coaching in the NBA, you make so many adjustments. In because his dad was a hell of a coach. He makes great in-game adjustments. That's why Arkansas is dangerous. Yeah, They might play a zone. They might trap. They might go man. And that's one thing I love about Bruce Pearl. He's not married to, no, no, no. We got to do whatever it takes to win this game. So uh, my man from Kingston, 
North Carolina ain't going to win. I can promise you that. Uh, but uh, shot at Kenny. Uh, oh, really? But, but I, sleeper is a strong word. I think it's going to be one of the the, 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 the the big schools. But like I say, they, and this sounds stupid, they're going to have to play well to win it because there's no great team. That sounds stupid. Next call. <laughs> yeah, hi, Charles. It's Stan from Arizona. I was just calling to see if uh, you and Ernie have ever been compared to uh, Cosell and Ali. Great show. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. What kind of a driver is Charles? Okay, bye. No, I don't think we've been. I think Chuck's been compared to Ali uh, 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 with being outspoken and being opinionated and uh, and being very entertaining. Well, oh, I want to be entertaining, but I'm not stupid enough to compare my, to myself to Ali. He's one of my no, heroes. Others have. Yeah, and he's one of my heroes. Yeah. And uh, thank you, uh, Stan from Arizona. First of all, it's a flattering comparison, but I, I don't do that. I just, I just say thank you and keep it moving. As far as driver, did he mean driving a car? Well, let's go both ways. What kind of a driver of the golf ball are you? Well, right now, I'm on point with my driving. I'm killing the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the worst people I've ever— Hitting it straight? I'm hitting it straight. You know, like one of the worst people I've played with is Roy Green. He's just an awful person. How come Roy Green gets a mention every time we do this? Because he room? gets so mad when I talk bad about him, and I got to keep doing but it. But it's rare, it's rare that you talk bad about him. It's usually in glowing terms. No, when he then, does that with the big then, he, got, he got those big lips. He does this with his eyebrows. And he licked those big soup coolers. <laughs> that's, that's Roy Green. You think he's sexy, too. Like, oh, it just makes me want to puke. No, you have told me other couple couple other stories. We don't need to go. Yeah, we, yeah. When he, in first of all, when he drives the golf ball, he hits it two hundred yards right down the middle. Uh-huh. But he got a great short game. He hit two hundred yards right down the middle. Hey, the right down the middle part yeah, is yeah, good. Three hundred and twenty right down the middle is better though. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Are you really? But I'm driving the ball really, really well. Dang, Chuckster. But you know, I have gotten to the point as a car driver where I'm just careful. Well, that's nice. No, I used to drive fast. Drive fast and not carefully? No, not carefully. People who drive fast are not driving carefully. Let's get that out the way. If How about you, race car drivers? Th- that's a different thing. They're the, some of the most talented people in the world. Yeah. I tell you what, Dare Jarrett is a friend of mine. He took me uh, on to his NASCAR experience in Las Vegas. So my friends did it. And they were going like 90 miles an hour, and they were scared to death. Dale got me up way, way, way over 100. And I was terrified. We were this close to the wall. Yeah, I know. And I was like, how much confidence and talent did you have to have be driving way over 100? And it was just us on the track. I can't imagine how crazy it would be if there's 20 or 30 cars out there Y'all all going a hundred and something. I mean, that's. I mean, those guys are really amazing talent. I remember the day I smoked you and Kenny out at Atlanta International Raceway. I smoked you guys, and they and and that's this wasn't a ride along. This was us behind the wheel, Ernie. I was one sixty five. You just man. have to get off to a good one, start. No, I my best lap was one sixty five. And you and you Jet feel were good like about, you feel 99. Bad. You feel bad about breaking the law? I thought Kenny was going backwards. Well, it's the knees. <laughs> it's the knees. He can't. His legs are so close together. He Couldn't can't hit, hit the, the accelerator. He can't hit yeah. But you're right because they because at first we did ride along and they kind of took us through, okay, when you get to this point and when you get to this point. Yeah. And then had somebody riding with us when we did it. Yeah. And the guy's saying, Get up closer to the wall. Uh, I said, no, I'm not getting closer to the wall. I, he said, and he said, it's not going anywhere. The yeah. wall's not going to jump out at you. Yeah. And I said, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm not going to jump at it either. Yeah, but that was fun. That, yeah, was the it, Richard, it, that was the Richard Petty experience, yeah. as a matter of fact. Shout out to the king. Yep. Uh, last call. Hey, Charles and Ernie. This is Federico from Italy, loyal steamer since day one. I wanted to show my solidarity, as you did in the last episode, towards all our Ukrainian friends and everybody that is suffering from this war. Ernie and Chuck, you do not know how important you are. Ernie, your message about there's value in everyone, find it, was utterly inspiring to me and helped me develop better relationships with everybody. And Charles, when you talked about 
giving thanks to anyone you know that was important to you in your life. I now do it every time I visit my grandmother. I let her know how important she was during my entire life. So I just have a brief question. Who's the the best people you've ever interviewed in your life? And is it harder to interview someone who is completely batshit crazy like Kevin Garnett or someone who is much more tight-lipped like Kevin Durant? And also, if you ever come to Italy, uh, you can visit me and uh, I will bring you to the best place in town, my mother's sister. She is the best chef in town and that there is no competition and that is widely known. You all got my number now, and thanks again. You have no idea how important you are. Wow, that was Puerto cool. Rico. That's uh, that was really that's nice. Awesome. And Calling from one of my favorite places in the world, Italy. Have you been to Italy? Oh yeah, several times. It's awesome, isn't it? You eat too much there. No, no. They give you like you. They give you like three meals before you get to your meal. It's awesome though. What a it, great it's, spot. It's awesome, man. You know, I'm starting to be more human now. Because it's really weird. When you're young, you don't think about death. I'm not worried about death or thinking about it. But you start losing people. And, you know, I lost my mother, my grandmother. I've lost two brothers. I've lost my dad recently. Actually, last week, we buried Lionel Lil Train, James. And I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, I better tell the people close to me how what they mean to me. And to his point, we all need to do a much better job of that. Uh, because like most of the time you just get a phone call, somebody's gone, and you say to yourself, man, I wish I had told them this or told them that. And uh, I'm trying to personally do a much better job of that. And part of that I just think is acting at that moment and not, putting that on a list of people I need to call before, you know, in the next few weeks. You know what? You know, I'm thinking about him. I need to, or her, I need to, need to give them a shout. Or yeah. I need to, and, and then, because you don't know, you're, you're not guaranteed five minutes from no. now, Chuckster. And so when you have that feeling and you have that, that kind of that nudge that says, you know, you haven't talked to him in a while, yeah. her in a while, go ahead and get, do it now. Yeah. Because there's, there's no worse feeling right. than, golly, I left something unsaid with that person. Because mm-hmm. when you do get that kind of a call uh, or that kind of news. It sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, and I've, I haven't felt that way the other day, Chuck, when Dick Versace passed. Yeah. It had been so long since I talked to Dick Versace, yeah. who I used to work with. And I was like, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. There's no excuse for not reconnecting with somebody just, just, to out say of, hello. just out of the blue, say, man, yeah. I was thinking about you the other yeah. day. How are you? Because me and Dick Versace were not great friends. I don't want to act like that. But when we gave him a little love on television last week, yeah. I was saying to myself, man, every time I spent time with him, he was always great. And you know, and that's, and, and that's actually the one thing about sports. You know each other like basically your whole life. You know, like one, one guy who's been a great mentor to me is Billy Cunningham. Yeah. And I always make sure just like, Hey, coach, just thinking about you. Hope everything's going good. And he's always on my ass about my health. He says, when's the last time you've been to the doctor? I says, 1988, 989, somewhere in there. He says, are you serious? I says, yeah, they did a little physical in the NBA where they check my heart, put you on the little treadmill for a second. But I ain't. I can't even remember the time, the last time I did like a complete physical. He's like, oh, as soon as you get home this summer, we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to do that this summer when I get back. I'm reminded, too, as we close this out, along those lines of what we're talking about and get in touch with, with folks. Remember what I said uh, after Kobe died? Yeah. Um, and I told you about that Avett Brothers song, No Hard Feelings. Yeah. And, and the Avett Brothers are, are awesome. But that song just speaks to me every time I hear it because it's going to end one of these days for yeah. all of us. And if there's anything you need to fix between you and somebody else, fix it so that when that time comes, there were no hard feelings, you know, that I can go down that road all day. But that's, I think that says it. And was there, there was a question in there too about people we've interviewed. Oh, you know, you know and, we've had so many cool people 
but I think his point was you, when somebody who doesn't want to talk. Yeah. The one thing I can say, uh, I loved our interview with Dr. Fauci. Yep. Van Jones was great. Uh, Killer Mike was great. Alex Toussaint. Alex Toussaint was amazing. I'm, I hate I didn't get to meet him at the All Star game too. I wanted to see him there too. Yeah, because I, mean, I knew he was I, around. Yeah, I, well, I, and won the MVP. Yeah, the, the I wonder if he game. stayed for the whole weekend. I think he did. did I, he? I saw I saw a few pictures of him with guys uh, throughout All Star yeah. weekend. But um, Tom Brady was great. Peyton Manning was great. That's I all. I mean, we've had some incre- incredible people on here on the podcast. Uh, we appreciate the calls. Uh, appreciate Fred uh, Federico from uh, from Italy calling yes. in, and we're going to take a little time off from the steam room. Hate we got to hate I, to break that to you, but we've got we've got March our, Madness work to do. A real job, yeah. So we're going to take a little time off, and then we'll we'll be back with a, a, some new episodes. Yes. But somehow you're just going to have to. You know what I would do? I would just listen to this one and then go back in the archives. Yes. And and catch up on a few other ones and say, you know what you'll probably be saying if you go back a couple of years? Man, that was great. Man, those guys really haven't gotten any better at this. <laughs> we'll see you next time, whenever that is.